Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. You are what you eat. Eli works for food, but also for entertainment. And I don't mean to freak you out, but so many out there are trying to deceive you in entertainment. Luckily, John, Jesus' best friend, writes us a morning. We're in 1 John. I love this book. I think you will too. Well, I just got back from a week off. I had a blast. My wife and I, we loaded the girls up in the truck and pulled our camper down to New Orleans. Had a few adventures, a flat tire and got kicked off the docks by a uh, redneck gang. Future sermon illustrations. But the, the day we, we left, we drove down to Shawnee National Forest. And I don't know if you camp or not, but uh, setting up camp in the dark is, uh, is not so easy. And we were going to do that. In fact, to make matters worse, it started raining. But in the rain, in the darkness, I was convinced that I was going to show Nicole how much of a man I am, set up camp in the, in the dark rain. And so we, we pulled into the campground, and we got to fill our camper up with, with water. And Nicole points at the water source and goes, oh my goodness, it's a pump. You're going to have to pump the water out. And it's actually one of these right here. Now, I knew when she said you have to pump the water out, I knew it's not a pump. It, it's a lever valve. You just lift up and the water comes out but it's dark, it's raining, I'm in a hurry, I got my mind on, on everything else. And so for five minutes, I just sat there, turning the water off and on, pumping, until I realized what I was doing, you know, just out of breath from, from pumping. But then we pull into our campsite, and I'm in a rush, it's dark, I'm trying to level the camper in the dark, and I'm messing with all the jacks. When the hitch actually slipped off, the camper fell and knocked me over, that night, I had to drive 30 minutes to the nearest store, go into Kentucky to pick up a jack, came back to the, the camper, just gave up, went to bed. Next morning, I wake up, and no joke, it took me five minutes to set up the camper. What took me 30 minutes in the dark, I didn't even get it done in the dark, but what took me 30 minutes last night only took me five minutes to figure out and the light. Setting up camp in the light is vastly different than setting up in the dark. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Love and Hate. We find ourselves in a very dark time right now. Not just COVID, that, that plays a part, but gender confusion, sexual confusion. Every line is being blurred and we're wondering what we're doing as we spiral. Yet scripture, specifically 1 John, shines this light. When we understand what God loves and when we understand what God hates, all of a sudden, the, the confusion dissipates. There's clarity, the lines make sense, there's safety, there's light. Living in the light is vastly different than living in the dark. And we're continuing in the book today. First John chapter two, we're gonna look at verses 18 through 29. I'm not sure if you have a Bible in front of you or not, but if you don't, maybe grab one, uh, grab a phone. Uh, we have actually, we have our bridge app and you can take notes on that as well as have the Bibles, which is really nice, all in one, all in one place. We grab a Bible, really love it when we're all on the same page of scripture together. First John 2, 18 to 29 is what we're looking at. Let me pray and we'll jump right into this. Father, I thank you so much. Uh, for your word, I thank you for uh, who you are. I thank you that you love us enough to even write this. And some of this is we're gonna get into today. Some of this is really hard to swallow. So God, I ask for your, your Holy Spirit to, to really work in our hearts, to open our hearts. Uh, may we be sensitive to your Spirit's conviction. And uh, may we be willing to accept these words as difficult as they may be at times. Uh, we, we ask that you be with us. Speak to us for your listening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, as we enter into 1 John 2, we find ourselves in a little home in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus doesn't look like too much. And the home we find ourselves in doesn't look like too much either. It's eroded bricks fit together. Yet it's in this little home the scripture was penned. The weathered dim mirror hangs in the room. The reflection in the mirror is somewhat the same as the mirror itself. A weathered, worn, aged face stares back at himself in the mirror. See, John, once the young son of thunder, as Jesus called him, now hunched over, walks with a bit of a limp. He once stood in front of crowds and belted out sermons. And now his voice is a gravel to it. It's been more than half a century since Jesus called him out of a boat. And the day he left his father's fishing business, the, the memory is it's fading. Just like the reflection in the mirror that he stares at. The going out is taking his toll on him. There's always people. Good people, but there's always people. And there's always questions. Good questions, but there's always questions. What was it like, John, to sit next to Jesus by the fire? John, what did Jesus mean when he said, what did this miracle mean? Did, did this really happen, John? And most of his days are filled with answering those questions and explaining theology and reiterating those stories. But today, he just doesn't feel like leaving the front door. He's, he's growing tired. He's, he's wondering when things are going to slip. It's been over half a century, and, and he's feeling it. And there's this pressure. He's one of the last... He is the last of the original storytellers. That Peter was crucified with his wife. James, his brother, was killed in Jerusalem. The apostle Paul was executed more than a decade ago. The worn face that he stares at in the mirror, it's the last one standing. And maybe today he doesn't leave the front door. Maybe it's time to write. Time to put words to paper before he forgets, before it slips. He sits down at a wobbly little table. A weak older man will now write with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. And we are given these precious words. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Seems like such an old man thing to say, doesn't it? Antichrist, last hour, the world is going down the sewer, these evil youngsters. So much more to, to this than that. This is not an old grumpy man venting. See, you got to keep in mind, John's personality was that of an extremely kind, gentle old man. His face now worn, but, but so much kindness lies in his eyes. This right here is not a venting session. I mean, look how he starts writing. He starts with children, children. And this isn't like a dig, it's not, it's not a power move or anything like that. The original word can actually mean dear friends. Really, literally, if you were to literally translate, it's the equivalent of saying, my dears, my dears. So we read this verse with this sweet, sweet, tender love. My dears, it is the last hour. Many antichrists have come and are coming. And as these words were written, I think John had this flashback. Uh, a memory hit him. It was 60 years ago, but it's still fresh in his mind. 
The day that Jesus and him and 10 others walked up or 11 others walked up the Mount of Olives. And there they sat on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. Matthew and Mark, they record this, but John was there watching the sunset, sitting next to Jesus. And Jesus had just pointed at the temple and said, this will be destroyed. How could they forget that day? And as they sat on the hill overlooking Jerusalem, he asked Jesus, John asked Jesus, tell us when these things will be and and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When is the last hour, Jesus? Jesus replied, again, this is in, in Matthew, but Jesus replied, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. That was 60 years ago. And John has seen all of this happen. The temple was demolished over two decades ago. Fake teachers have come and gotten publicity. New ideologies are dividing the church. He's seen it all. It's continuing to happen. And just the thought of all of this with the knot in his stomach, another gray hair in his beard. So many false teachers out there. So many bad ideologies that sound really nice but are killing the church. Who's going to stand firm? Who's going to guard the faith? It's why he writes this verse right here. My dears, it is the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Because what Jesus told me up on the hill 60 years ago, it's happening right now. False teachers, wrong ideologies are flying around about the church, leading people away from the church. It's all happening. And these are strong words that John is using here. John calls false teachers, people who take people away from the church. Look at this. He calls them antichrists. Now, I can't get away with that. I can't call people antichrists, but kind, gentle old John can. See, some of us, when we think of this word antichrist, we see this word antichrist, we, we think of uh, one person, you know, the, the person in Revelation, you know, the one person who ruled the world at the, the end times. If you read the Left Behind books, we think of uh, Nicolae. Uh, That's a separate conversation, though. What John and Jesus, if you go back to the Mount of Olives, John and Jesus both say that those who take people away from the church, those who hurt the church, those who spread false teaching, those who spread gossip, those who take people away from the unity of the body of Christ are anti-Christs, plural. And to be fair, those who John is talking about, those who Jesus was talking about uh, back then and today, Many of those antichrists are those who say good things and and believe what they are saying, and it seems good and right. If it it didn't seem good and right, there wouldn't be a draw to it. But the proof is in the pudding. If there is a teaching, if there is a movement, if there is an ideology that causes people to deconstruct their faith or to develop anger with the church, it is a false teaching from the lips of antichrists. This is some strong words here. John continues on, verse 19. He says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Okay, let's just be fair to this verse. I don't want to mutilate this verse because some people and preachers have taken this verse and uh, used it to abuse power. John is not saying, you know, everyone who leads your church was never with you. So if you move away from the bridge or you go help launch another church and you leave us, You are never with us, you dirty dogs. That's not what John is saying. Some some of us have come from other churches for for legitimate reasons, and I don't want you sitting there thinking, you know, uh uh-oh, 
John is saying, we gotta read this in context, John is saying those antichrists from before who came into the church with an agenda to spread an off teaching, those who stirred up division, they took their shots and they left the church, those antichrists with agendas, they were never really with us. They were never actually part of our community. They just wanted to see their ideology promoted and accepted by the church. They wanted power, they wanted their way, they didn't get it, so they left, so they never really part of the family. Because in families, even when you don't get your way, you don't leave your family. If that were true, my four-year-old would have been out of the family at breakfast this morning. She wanted second breakfast, not a second helping, a whole second breakfast, like a whole other menu. I told her I'm not running a Denny's here, baby. She didn't get her way. I know I'm a terrible father, but she's still part of the family. For now, we'll have our weekly vote tonight. <laughs> but this is, this is what John is getting at. And, and it's something that we're so badly missing today. Family is all about not getting your way, but participating anyway. One of the more trendy bashes against the church today in, in general, and I'm not talking about the bridge specifically, I'm just talking in general, when people leave the church and, and, and they leave mad, a lot of them will go on Twitter, they'll go on their social media, and they'll scream, oh, I thought this was a family, but obviously not. And I always look at them like, why? Because you didn't get your way? Like, you didn't get what you want? What, what family did you grow up in? I wanted pancakes, but I got waffles. Obviously, we're not a family in this house. <laughs> be ridiculous. That's John's point here. John has seen the church launch. He's seen decade after decade after decade of people coming and going and staying and, and leaving and getting mad and spreading gossip. He's had his fair share of people kick, that, kick him on their way out, all angry, people with agendas. Church needs to teach this. Church needs to do this. They need to do what I want or I'm out. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, John has just come to this conclusion right here. Those who leave because they didn't get what they want, they were never really part of the family. If they were part of the family, they would have stayed, but they didn't. They were never really with us. It was about their agenda. It wasn't about the family. It wasn't about the gospel. It was about their agenda. It was about what they want, not about Jesus and his family or truth. They were fake. Strong words. But in all of this, John is setting us up to, to take us somewhere. But I want to hit the pause button right here. And before we move on to the text, this is so important. John gives us three warning signs of fake Christians. Now, I did not sit down and like just come up with these. They are right here in the paragraph. Three warning signs of fakes, antichrist, fakes, people we should be careful around. But more importantly, we should be careful that these aren't signs in us. Warning sign number one of a fake they have a pattern of fractured relationships with the body. This is what John is saying. Hey, be careful of those people. They have a fractured relationship with the body, a pattern of it. Verse 19 says, uh, they left because they were never of us. If they were of us, they would have stayed. Now to be clear, John is not talking about, you know, a family decides, hey, switching churches might be best for our family at this point, and they leave on good terms, and they go serve somewhere else for, for, for whatever reason. John is not talking about that. That's some of us, and maybe some of us. You might go to a, a different church one day, and, and, and that's okay. John is talking about fractured relationships. 
They have a resume of past churches that they've attended, which included a lot of conflict. They haven't left on good terms. They're not leaving wishing the best for their brothers and sisters. Instead, they're mad and they got their list of people that they're angry at and they got their list of complaints. John says, eh, that's a warning sign. That pattern of fractured relationships is a warning sign that they're taking people away from the church. Second warning sign of a fake is they dilute God's word. They dilute God's word. Verses 22 and 23, uh, John takes aim at certain people who are diluting God's word. So here's the thing. A, a true Christian will champion the Bible, even parts of the Bible they don't like. Bible's final authority um, and how they view people and how they view marriage and how they view sex. Bible is final authority. Fakes dilute it. Constantly questioning it. Hey, you know what? There's many different interpretations of it. Like that's your view. A final authority is more of their feelings. It's more of pop culture, what everybody else is doing. And so they, they mainly, a lot of times read the Bible to find loopholes in scripture, which is a tendency for all of us. I guess it is not easy to say, I'm gonna live and I'm gonna die by this regardless of how I feel, regardless of how much trouble this gets me, this gets me into. I am living by this. That's hard. Our fallen tendency is to use this when it's convenient and then blur lines to excuse our own sin. Every Christian is guilty of this at some level. John says here, fakes, they're really good at that. They dilute. They spend more time finding ways around things and, and excusing and, and, and bending commands and blurring lines than they do studying and meditating on it. That's convicting. Third warning sign in this paragraph of a fake is they have an agenda. They have an agenda. They left because they were never really of us. They had an agenda. It was more about their agenda. It wasn't about the family. Now, I'm sure when they first showed up, the people that John's talking about, when they first showed up at church, they were great. They were fun to do community with. They were great to worship with. They were great to study their Bibles with. The kids played together. But eventually, when you have an agenda, it shows. The church wasn't worshiping the way they wanted to worship. The pastor wasn't preaching what they wanted preached. The people weren't championing what they wanted championed. And so they left because it was about their agenda. It was about what they wanted. Fractured relationships with the body, less of an emphasis on God's word and agenda. That is what takes people away from God and into darkness. Old man's a hard hitter, isn't he? Verse 26. Verse 26, and try to read this from old, gentle, kind-eyed John. I like to think of it this way. It's as if from, from 1900 years ago, gentle John comes alongside of you. He turns off your news. He pushes down your phone. He puts his arm around you. And he says this to you in verse 26. He says, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Yes, this was written to John's churches in 95 AD, but this is absolutely to us. Last month, Relevant Magazine put out an article showing that 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages were run by Eastern European troll farms. 19 of the top 20 Christian pages on Facebook were run by troll farms, by fakers. 19 of the top 20 most of us have little awareness to the reality that this world, the enemy, is trying, actively trying to deceive you constantly. 
My kids are a, a big fan of The Greatest Showman, so much so that uh, we spent a good portion of our road trip last week listening to the, the soundtrack. It's pretty good. I mean, it's Hugh Jackman, right? Uh, love The Greatest Showman. Uh, we even took our girls up to the, the Barnum and Bailey Museum up in Wisconsin a couple times and they'll look through the museum, you know, get the story. And my oldest, she, she commented after going to the museum, she, she commented, you know, the real history of the circus is different than the movie. I feel like the movie got it wrong. Why would they lie to us? I said, honey, don't ever lose that critical thinking skill because the popular trend, whether it's to sell tickets or push an agenda, the popular trend right now is verse 26. This, this isn't conspiracy theories. This is reality. There are those who want and are actively trying to lead you and me and our kids astray to their own agenda. 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages. And it starts small. It's just a little off post on, on Facebook. It's a comment in a show. It's an underlying theme in a movie. It's an agenda in a curriculum. It's a movement. And it'll just turn your thinking just a little bit. It'll turn your feelings just a little bit. It'll darken your heart just a little bit in a very subtle way, but it's constant. And it takes you away from the truth. And the less this is on your radar, the faster it happens. See, John is saying right here, he's saying to love truth, be careful what you consume. If you really wanna say you love truth, like God loves truth, you gotta be careful what you consume. I'm trying to eat healthier. It sucks. Walking through the grocery store is like an onslaught of temptation. I mean, the bakery, I, I love bread. Love bread, like the cheese corner. I mean, that's my corner. Aged cheddar, you know, I'll get some smoked meat. I was telling my friend about this. My, my friend told me a trick though. He said, if you want to eat healthy, if you want to shop healthier, when you go into the grocery store, stay by the walls of the store. Everything on the inside of the grocery store is more processed. Most of the perimeter, that's you know, where everything's plugged in to keep, you know, keep things fresh. Uh, that, that's, usually, that's usually fresh. Very interesting. We know this, you know, what you consume becomes you. You are what you eat. There is truth to that, that old uh, adage. Same with entertainment. Every time you turn on the TV, Every time you watch the news, every time you Netflix, every time you listen to the radio, every time you play a video game, every time you watch a movie, you're consuming a message. The person at the pulpit is not always your preacher. Every show is a sermon. Every song carries a message. One of my favorite uh, classes in Bible college, my professor would have us watch popular TV shows uh, non-Christian TV shows. So like, for example, in Bible college, I watched South Park in, the, in a Bible college classroom. And then we dissected it. So we watched the show and then we dissected it. What was the show saying about faith? What was it trying to convey about sexuality? What was the main message of the show? What are a few of the minor messages of the show? And, and, and to this day, I mean, this is a decade, more than a decade ago, I still remember the main message and the, and the little messages it lodged in that show. All of those strong messages were lodged in this popular cartoon that most people just sit down and veg on. You think about Squid Games right now. There is a message in Squid Games. I haven't watched it yet. I'm planning to give it a shot, but there is a message, whether it's good or bad, in Squid Games. How often do we sit in front of a screen and just consume whatever message is being shown to us? It affects us slowly very slowly and subtly, but surely, and it's constant. See, John called it, John called it 1900 years ago. There are those trying to deceive you. Be careful what you consume. 
Hollywood is really good at twisting truths and twisting reality, and that affects your spirit. There is something to my daughter's frustration over their misrepresentation of circus history. And we should all have that. Not listen to me. I'm not saying we should be Amish, you know, and reject anything and everything. As awesome as that sounds, hey, I, I fantasize about us moving to like some commune and living off the grid where, where media isn't pumped in, uh, pumped that cancer into our families. Uh, I, I got it all planned out. We'll live in bunkers away from society and we'll work fields. We'll get some livestock, you know, only own home phones. Maybe we'll get some flip phones. I don't know. We, I haven't decided that yet. Sabbath will be required every week. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Every, every week, uh, every sermon I preach now, it gets edited for radio. And uh, so certain parts of the sermon get edited out. Guarantee this part is going to be edited out because I sound like a cult. But in all seriousness, though, right now, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, and John's not saying, hey, run away from the TV, run away from the screens, freak out, throw out the TV, smash your phones. That's not what he's saying. The point that John is making is be careful what you're consuming. You may have to severely limit the consumption of your shows and music and TV and media and social media. That should always be part of your conversation because there's an enemy. There are people who want to deceive. They're all around you. Don't freak out. Don't go to war with them. Don't get on a soapbox, but be wise. John would say, as my best friend put it, be innocent as doves, shoot as snakes. There are those trying to deceive you everywhere. So live in a way that they can't pin a thing on you and be shrewd as snakes. The often, often the fight for your heart begins in the menu of your screen. <laughs> Remember this one. Next time you open up Netflix or Disney Plus or Prime Video or Hulu or radio, the fight for your heart begins on the menu of that screen. What am I going to be okay with consuming? What am I going to allow to be shown into my home? What am I going to be allowed to play in my car? The fight starts on the menu screen. Be careful what you consume. No more mindless consumption. We are wise, we are discerning, we are innocent as doves, shrewd as snakes. Not making a big fuss, just being wise. Uh, verse 27, you got your Bibles in front of you. Verse 27 says that, uh, John says that we have the Holy Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit convicts us and guides us as we discern what to consume. Imagine praying before you decided what to watch. Imagine that. Spirit, please guide me. Please convict me. How would that change the decisions that we make as we scroll and hit play? Uh, verse 28, verse 28, this is so good. He says, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Dang, old man's got a good right hook. This is hard hitting. I'm sitting there in the rough hewn wood table, the candle flickers a dim light. Sound of his utensil scratches the rough parchment. And it's this incredible moment in the life of John. See, as the ink soaks into the parchment, it's as if his love is being absorbed in it as well. More than just words are being left behind as John writes, little children, my dears, stay close. Stay close to him. Abide in him. The other day I was thinking, if I had uh, one last thing to say to my daughters, what would I say to them? You know, as their dad, I, I mean, I, I can begin to describe my, my love for them. 
What would I say to them if I had like, if I had to go and I got one last thing to say to them? And what came to my mind was, girls, all I care about is, is I just want to see you again. Follow Jesus. Stay with Jesus. And this is what John is writing here. My dears, my loves, my, my dear friends, stay with Jesus so that when you see him again, you won't shrink away from him in shame or regret. Stay close so that when you see him, you can look him in the eye with confidence. And that's number two. Come straight from the text. Stick close. Stick close. You want to love truth? Stick close. John is saying the closer you stick to Jesus now, the less you'll shrink away from him when you see him. My, my, my dears, stick close. You ever walk through a, a crowd with kids? Last week, I, I took my daughters into New Orleans and uh, near Bourbon Street, actually. A lot of weird things around there. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Every time I've, I've gone to New Orleans, I've, I've been offered drugs. Like, depravity is just on full display there. I, didn't, I did not take my kids to the really seedy parts, but we did walk through some really uncomfortable uh, areas of, of New Orleans. And I kept repeating those words over and over and over. Stick close, girls, stick close, stick close. Uh, those aren't gummy bears that, that those guys are selling. Stick close. Don't pet that dog. Stick close. Like the only way to navigate the French Quarter is sticking close to dad. This is the picture that John is painting in life. As much as we love to, you know, to believe Louis Armstrong's song of, I say to myself, what, what a wonderful world. As much as we love that song, we're walking through depravity on display all around us. It's all around us. It's just packaged really well. The enemy is constantly selling you something. If we are not sticking close to Jesus, we will buy into that which hurts us. We will be deceived. We will be taken away. And the consequences are tragic. I've seen it play out many times just in this past year. Stick close. You are walking through a cesspool of deception and disease. If you don't tread with wisdom, you will be a casualty. Stick close. Let me ask you, are you? Sticking close. There was one part where we were in New Orleans and, and there was a market. So there's like a few magicians on the street, you know, doing their show and tarot card readers and art being sold. I felt bad for the kids at that part. You know, it's just like distraction after distraction. I'm telling them to stick close. So I just kept on saying, eyes on me, eyes on me. If you stop to gaze at the hippie witch rubbing the glass ball, you will lose me. We're moving along. I wonder how many of us have stopped in life and we're gazing at something else. Something else caught our eye. Still love Jesus, but we slowed our walk and we're gazing at something. A friendship's got a pull on us. A relationship has got a pull on us. A movement is enticing us. A, a political passion is, is bringing us in, or it's a standard of living. Something, and, and we all have it, something that is vying for our attention as we try to navigate life trying to stick close to Jesus. And a common thought that we're tempted with is, well, I can follow Jesus and, and what? John would be as bold as to say, it's either pushing you toward Jesus and his people or away from Jesus and his people. Regardless of how it's sold, regardless of how harmless it seems, it's doing one or the other. It's pushing you to Jesus or it's taking you away from Jesus. And the proof is always in the pudding. Since the relationship, since that friendship, since really getting into that movement, since that thing, are you closer to Jesus 
and his people or further. Proof is in the pudding. This is why old John sits down and pens these words. My dear, my dears, my dear friends, stick close. You're being sold things left and right. Stick close. There are so many out there that are trying to deceive you. Stick close to Jesus so that when you do see him, you can look him in the eye and not shrink away in shame. My dears, I want to see you again. This is verse 20. It's so good. I love this verse. We actually get another point from it. Last point, number three, finish strong. Finish strong. You want to love truth? Finish strong. Those who love truth finish strong. John takes a, a break from writing. His fingers are locked up. His hand is sore. And even writing now takes effort. It's been half a century since John stood on his boat with his dad and his brother and Jesus called him. Ever since that moment, his feet hit the shore. It's been this journey. It's been a journey of ups and downs, you know, following Jesus in the countryside and, and, and sticking close to Jesus through crowded Jerusalem and standing below him as Jesus hung on the cross. And then a week later, eating breakfast with Jesus on the beach and, and watching him ascend into the sky. I mean, it's been over half a century since all of this has taken place. And since then, John has started multiple churches. He's had his fair share of people taking their shots at him, trying to lead people away from the church, not to mention the constant threat of government persecution. I mean, legend has it that John will soon be boiled in oil after the writing of this, but he won't die. I mean, it's just been this wild ride for the old man. And as he rubs the, the cramp out of his withered hand, it's obvious the finish line doesn't feel too far away. And when that day comes, when he draws his last breath, he wants to look at his best friend in the eye once again and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, boil it all down, boil away his fame, take away his haters, boil away his notoriety for being the, the last living apostle, boil it all down. He just wants to look his best friend in the eye and hear these words. And there's something to that. There's something to waking up in the morning with that being your heartbeat. There's something about putting your hand to the plow, your, your fingers to the keyboard, clocking in with this being your heart's cry. There's something about dating, about doing marriage, about raising kids with this being your longing. Man, I just want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. See, without the craving for this, you're not going to finish strong. It's just not going to happen. If the distractions around you are louder than the craving in you, you're going to fold. These words have to be our obsession. It's all we really want. Because the truth is, if this is not our obsession... Monitoring what we consume is just silly. It's just silly. Sticking close to Jesus won't be a big deal. And finishing strong will be out of the question. Unless this is your loudest craving. Man, I don't want to shrink away when I see Jesus. I want to look him in the eye and hear these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So the question becomes, so what? What about you? When we ask that question as we come out of God's word, God always speaks through his word and God spoke through John here. What's he saying to you? 
The question that I wanna leave you with before we call it, the question I wanna leave you with is this right here. What is keeping you from sticking close and finishing strong? You. What's keeping you from sticking close to Jesus and finishing strong? As John would say, man, I don't want you to shrink away when you see him face to face. Have that craving. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What's keeping you from that? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for, for John. I thank you for him taking the time to pen these letters. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who empowered him as he wrote this down. And God, may this be something that is not easily forgotten, but that we carry this with us, not just throughout this week, but really throughout the rest of our lives. There are those trying to deceive us. They're all around. We just want to stick close to Jesus. Be careful what we monitor, but stick close to Jesus. God, we want to finish strong. I want our church to finish strong, to hear those words, well done my good and faithful servant. May your Holy Spirit convict us all the way to that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.